welcome to Three Wise DMs, the podcast for three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long. Talk about what we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. I'm Thorin, and I'm joined by... Tony. And Dave, you know I'm here. Here I come. I'm like Always the caboose. Here. No longer the rookie. You made it through 13 episodes, Dave. You've graduated. Oh my god. That's, That's like true. second tier. That's Heroes of the Realm right now, I think. Mm. And speaking of upgrading, we have, you know, you guys have been great. We've got quite the following going on Facebook, on Twitter, people, you know, as far as the followers of the podcast, we really appreciate all the support you give us. Please keep listening. You know, if you like the episode, smash that five-star rating button and whatever podcast platform you're listening in, we can use all the help we can get. Tell your friends. And as evidence, one of the cool things that's happening with that is we're actually starting to get some audience questions to talk about. So and they're not just episode, from our girlfriends either. It's not no. just our girlfriends either, right? That's what's so amazing about it, you know? You it's can like real Dave people the, that you, we you, don't you, know, you know? You can it's tell real Dave the new know. guy because he thinks that girlfriends ask you questions about the end date. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bonnie does. Bonnie asks me questions. That's about true. That's true. She's an outlier. My yeah, wife has played with me sure. for 25 years and has never once asked me a question about the end date. <laughs> That's She's like, okay, this is how we're hanging out. Fine. I'll hang out with your friends and do this. <laughs> she's not generally asking dungeon master questions i mean bonnie actually dungeon masters though right she she has a she game does. She? she does she, yeah she's been running at the group home uh with two of the kids that are there uh where she's interning now for her masters in counseling and uh exactly. yeah it's awesome it's really awesome because one you know it's D, but two i'm starting to like see how you can kind of utilize it in therapy with the role yeah. playing i've only read articles up about it up to this point but now i'm kind of seeing it in real time which is kind of awesome that's really cool and it is certainly something that i think has a lot of real world value in that way and we're gonna have uh, i think we'll have bonnie on in one of these days one of these episodes to talk about it a little bit and kind of how those things are going and what she's seen there which uh that'll be a great episode but yeah, so none of these questions tonight have come from girlfriends. These have all come from listeners like you. And if you'd like to ask us questions just for us to respond to on the platform or that we'll work into another episode like this in the future, you can do that by emailing threewisedms at gmail.com, by going to the threewisedms.com website and entering your question into the what's your problem field. Or you can talk to us on Facebook and Twitter. We're really active there. We're constantly posting stuff. So if you ask us a question there, you're liable to get an answer within the, uh, within the day. So we hope to see you on one of those platforms. And today, we're going to talk about some of the things that uh, listeners like you have asked us on them. So you ready, guys? Lord, I got to say, though, I, I just want to piggyback there real quick. Yeah. I just want to make sure that the listeners know that the what's – I'm glad you said it. The what's your problem field on the website isn't like, hey, what's your problem, you know? It's really more just we really want to know because we want to like, help. Hey, it's what's less, your problem? Yeah, it's less <laughs> – more caring, compassionate DMs, you know? So just wanted to, to put a little context on that. Well, well, the idea was, you can tell who made the website now, that would be me. The idea was, we're the, we're, we're the podcast for DMs with problems, and so tell us what your problem is. However, What's I have problem? to admit, I might be more comfortable asking Tony Soprano a question than some of our listeners. We will not be whacking anyone. We will not be asking you, hey, hey, what's wrong with you? Hey, <laughs> Forget about it. You let us. You can use that field to let us know what kinds of things you know you'd like to hear us talk about. What kinds of things you maybe struggle with that we can get add that we can give you our perspective on. Because God knows you cannot stop us from giving you our perspective on anything D and D related. So if you want to hear it, throw it out there. If not, that's great too. We hope we'll hit it in the natural conversations we have. 
So today, we're going to be starting with the reader question, with the listener questions we've been getting. And the first question I want to kick off with, that I've seen in a few places, what do you do with a TPK? Now, we've talked extensively, uh, Tony especially, about how important it is to be willing to kill characters, that sometimes you got to live with the consequences of your actions, but what do you really do with that when the party's TPK'd? So, uh, Tony, you want to start with that one? Sure. I want to kind of finish up with what you were saying is, uh, we are not going to whack any players asking any questions unless we feel you know too much. And then you got to go. I'm sorry. Hey, what's the problem? Huh? That, that's hey. just, those, those the rules. That but, fits um, beautifully in the TPK answer, actually. I mean, that, that, that really belongs here. <laughs> but if, you're having, if a TPK were to occur... That was the end of Goodfellas, by the way. It was a TPK, I think. So. I think it was them just eating dinner. Actually, yeah. unfortunately, <laughs> much more entertaining. No, Sopranos. Sopranos was them eating dinner. All right, all right. We're I'm getting them all. around. But um, it depends how you get there, is my opening point on this. So if, you know, your players are running around the woods, they run into an encounter that's a little tough, you know, maybe you knock them out. Maybe you capture them. Maybe you don't murder them. However, players are very astute to this. If you, they can feel that you are fudging things so they don't get killed or can get away it sucks the realism right off the table but there's kind of some compromises in there maybe some players die i remember one particular encounter we were at this massive dragon's cave and the, i forget which it was the barbarian and he's like i'm going in and we're like uh, i don't feel so strongly about this and he went in there and like I think he went off by himself we followed him after him, like, like maybe a minute or so behind him. And the dragon had already killed and eaten him and tossed him to us. And we're like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, check, please. It's time to leave. And I think the DM, because that was a, a preposterously huge deep dragon, we were like level five at the time. Oh, and, God. Yeah. And the, the player was just being, you know, his, his real life self in the game. And, um, that was a great way to kind of head that off with the pass. One player's full of piss and vinegar. He's doing crazy stuff. Okay, you want to go in there and grab the dragon's tail? Okay. Mm. But you could get wasted. Don't don't drag your whole party down on the Hindenburg. All mm. right. So, so that's what you do if, you know, that is a, that's a good way for kind of controlling that kind of player who got in the fight he should have known better than to get into. But what about if it just happens? What about if they're fighting your big boss and, you know, the boss kills them all? Or, you know, somewhere along the line, you know, they have a tough encounter, they're raiding the castle, and they get all killed in the castle. What do you do then? That's a super difficult question because you have to be able to feel the room. Is Does this feel like everyone liked this battle? Like, oh, my God, that was an awesome battle. I can't believe we died. Or is there, like, what? Like, oh, my, like, this is, like, the look of horror. Like, this is a disaster. Like, my character from a year and a half is dead. Then maybe you start exploring your other options. And the other options can't be filled with cheese. If you got to cheat your own <laughs> continuity, don't do it. Then be like, hey, guys, I'm sorry. that That's, you know, the dice have landed where they are. But if you do that, you kill death, which I said in the earlier podcast. And nobody, nobody wants that because then you'll, why, why pay attention? There's no tension. If you die, the DM will bring me back in some form or that one amazing NPC will always come and save you. You ever have that guy, you're in a campaign, and you guys are getting your ass kicked, this one mystical NPC the DM likes swoops in and starts hammering the boss? <laughs> hitting him with that wheel of cheese over his head? Oh, it's horrible. 
It wasn't, well, I was just going to say, it wasn't a mystical character that I used for that. It was just kind of like a ranger character, but I did have her uh, drop an arrow in the orc that was about to straight up kill the last remaining member of the party, so. <laughs> that's, a, that's hilarious. He didn't even have magic. He just happened to be a higher level PC, NPC coming in. And, yeah, um, it was just a guide. That guy, kick your ass. It was just a guide. That was like bringing them there, and then I had to bring her back. It's it, I was thinking on the fly, and it just you know that's the best I came up with at the time. So so what do you, is that is that how you handle? What do you do with TPKs, Dave? Oh well, I uh, a couple things. Uh, I we've said this before, and it's what I it's how I learned. Uh, I I've said the story before. It's when they stormed the bridge with the green dragon on it, and the hordes of hobgoblin armies across the way. Uh, because they got battle mat psychosis, right? They saw a battle mat, <laughs> so they went, oh, my God, we obviously have to fight. Um, when I was like, no, this is just so you can... Yeah. Battle I, like, map psychosis. Right? Battle map Traumatized psychosis. players, battle map psychosis, it's copyright, true. three wise DMs. Done. Well, you start throwing down a battle map, people are thinking, oh, it's combat. I have to do this, you know? So, well, that's, but, that's, um, why, that's why I tend to prefer theater of the mind for exactly yeah. that question. Once, yeah. once, once figures are on a grid, players start thinking, hey, players start thinking like it's a video game. They got to kill everything. Exactly. You you have, uh, in in essence, taken away some of their options, possibly, to at least to their mind, maybe. Um, but I like, we've said it before, uh, instead of TPK, uh, make it a TPC, right? Make it a total part of capture. Uh, you wipe them out, now they're captured. Now it's a cool, I got to escape thing. Thorin, you did that uh, perfectly because you got into that holy shit moment with the red caps, uh, where it was, it turned bad all of a sudden on us. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't something like you said, I, you said it before. You, if somebody's doing something stupid, then they, if they die, they die right, in your game. But if it's accidental, if it's something if it's an ambush or a trap, yeah, then you, you seem to be a little more lenient with it because you know that this wasn't something that they had necessarily walked into. Uh, so that's a great time, if you can, to use a total party capture. I think certain... Uh, encounters preclude that with like Tony's continuity. Like some creatures are not going to capture you; they're going to eat you, right? Rules um, love prisoner. Um, the great news does not need prisoners. It's just going to it's, it's just going to dissolve you. And adventurers later will find your bones and your treasure. So, uh, so you can definitely turn it into a total part capture most of the time. Get a sense of what encounters you think are probably going to be pretty deadly and have some ideas as to what can move. Uh, that doesn't stop what happened at our last Strahd session, though, where the party almost killed themselves um, yeah. because they just started dropping ground zero nuclear weapons onto the battlefield and their dead compatriots already. Hey, what's that they there, DM? I don't know about yeah, that. No, that was, yeah. I don't know yeah. this is a plural number of people doing it. That's true. That's true. So... <laughs> Just be careful, DMs, anyone who's worried about a total party kill, uh, give a, a more of a, a, a player that's been playing a while, but is a little more unexperienced and is playing a cleric for the first time, give them really powerful spells. Like, well, I don't even remember what it was, Dawn or oh, something, where, it, yeah, where which, it drops which, a cylinder of searing Dawn energy down onto everybody. And you better save or you're getting, I don't know, 4D10 or 10D4. Basically a radiant fireball for all intents and purposes. Yeah, in essence, yeah. But So, yeah, you're just blasting people out. And she did it twice. 
So that's what was well, think it, the first time it worked. The first time it badly injured the party and knocked several players out, but it totally obliterated the opposition. So it was we just had to revive our friends in a in an empty room. While the other half of the encounter was locked in a twenty by twenty but in a forty by forty room with a hunger of a dart dying. Yeah, that which was, was hilarious. Uh, that, yeah, ended the encounter just awesomely. Yeah. Um then the next encounter, like we, we came out of that encounter like, oh wow, we're great, and we run into the next encounter and everything. We don't have the initiative, the monsters appear amongst us, and yeah, yeah, that's you know, trying to use the same trying to use the same tactics in a combat when the monsters are sp- scattered amongst the players leads to t- can lead to a TPK. The yeah, players can like kill themselves. Un- <laughs> annihilating annihilating villagers and townsfolk, you know, just burning them down. But uh, uh I will say uh, my character did not <laughs> Uh, know your table, like Tony had said. Know your characters. I know uh, certain players I could absolutely kill, and it doesn't matter. They'll just they'll eat it up and be like, "Oh, that was awesome! I can't wait to roll another character." And other people, they're really gonna take it really personally. Uh, they're gonna get You've never seen off. this. They're going to want to maybe leave that kind of stuff. So you know, you do what you can, um, but. As we've said before, too, in D&D, death is not necessarily death. So, you know, at a certain level, it you have some some outs. You have some Time outs. Time is a window. Death is a doorway. I'll be back. Uh, yeah. yeah, maybe that. You said that, too. I mean, why not just have, okay, now we're... Uh, <laughs> now we're playing on the um, astral plane or something. Well, that's right? the uh, that, that's the line from Ghostbusters, too. That's, that's what, uh, that was what Vigo said. That was Vigo. Oh, yeah, yeah. You should have saved that for the Halloween episode. Oh, oh, who knows? By the time this hits, it might be Halloween. It, it might be. <laughs> yeah, they're coming up on it. With that, Dave, honestly, if you have a player in your group, so, I mean, we've all had these certain players that have different expectations. Some players want to show up at the table and just win. Now, that's not super fun for the DM, but they're out there. And if you kill your character, that character off, it is an absolute deal breaker. So... Yeah. Maybe in that if that's a table you're looking at, maybe you're kind of playing this game on easy mode. Mm. Uh, honestly, yeah. I would dial it back then. Mm. So you, wow, like like so, so no, neither of you are like not. Nah, you died. Live with it. Eat it. Depends. <laughs> Renew characters. New campaign. Roll Again, up. it depends on the it depends on the player. It depends on the table. You know, some tables are will eat that stuff up, and other tables it's not going to necessarily go as well. So and they're you not know, your friend anymore. That is a big like... part of it. <laughs> I think that is a Which big is part. Which is fair because as much as as much as you'd love to sit back and say, oh, there'd never be the end of a friendship over killing a character. There can be. It's happened. I, I, I've watched happen. people almost get in fist fights in games. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's it's like you know, you don't you want to say that doesn't happen, but you're lying. It does. People do mm-hmm. get invested. These are their characters. They care. When people care, well, you know, emotions are 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 are, are explosive things to play with. You know, it's that's you know, in D and D and love, everything is fair. War has rules. Mm. It is a very hard question, and it is a question where a lot of the time, you know, I like what both you guys said. You got to read the room because you have to. Your question here is not just, do I make the death stick? Do I make the TPK stick? It is, what's going to happen next with this game, and what do I want to happen next with this game? Now, throw out, maybe they're not your friends. Maybe they're just a game group you're playing with. You know, 
you still need to understand what do you want to have come out of that? Do you want to play with them again or not? Do you want to start the game next week or not? Are you looking to get out of it? That determines a lot of what you're going to do with the TPK. And even here, even I'm saying, you know, yeah, it's not black and white unless, unless you feel really feel confident that your players can take that as a black and white game over, roll up a new game. I've been in games where you could, you know, and sometimes some games just kind of run their course. Sometimes people get bored with them and it's just, you know, you can use the refresh. I'm trying to think if I've ever actually ended a game with a TPK, and I don't think I have. I think if everyone dies, I mean, I've definitely had players roll up new characters and come in with new characters. I might have had the whole party do it once, but it would have been a long time ago. It doesn't happen often. Um, part of the reason for that is I'm going to bring, you know, ironically, a little bit of realism to this. If you really look at war and combat, slaughters are uncommon. The death rate in a battle, even when a side was routed, is generally under 10%. Some things can make that different. Obviously, if you hit the, if, if you drop a nuclear weapon on it, yeah, it's a lot higher. Dragons. But in general, especially medieval combat, the majority of deaths actually come when people are running away, so long as the party is together and acting in unison, they can usually protect each other. But what really happens, the biggest thing that keeps that like those slaughters from happening is that the once you can see the battles going against you, you pull your troops back and you start retreating. And I think to bring that to the D&D game, what's really important is messaging and communicating what's going on. So once you can start seeing the battles going against the players, and once the players start seeing it, you know, sometimes the players will slip into a last stand at the Alamo kind of mindset. You know, mm. they're, they're, they're Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. They're, 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 they're Marsden from, from Red Dead Redemption. They're just walking out there to take as many as they can before they take them down. That's great and romantic, but it's not realistic, and it's not necessarily the best thing for your game. So you want to start planting the seed that, hey, guys, this is starting to look bad. The bad guys, you're looking all beat up, and the bad guys aren't even bloodied. You want to get them thinking about retreating because – a bad beat probably should lead to a retreat more than it does a TPK. Like realistically, bad beats lead to retreats more often than having the army slaughtered. Like that's the way these things play out in the real world. And you probably should be aiming for that in, the, in your game. Players can see when it's starting to go against them. Someone should be start noticing, hey, I need to focus less on dealing damage and more on trying to preserve the party and get us out of here. Don't lock the door behind them. If you do that, well, hey, if you lock the door behind them and you're not willing to open that door, well, maybe you're you're forcing them into a TPK. Is that really fair? I mean, yeah, it's okay if the party dies on their own volition, but as a DM, I'm not comfortable saying that you know, putting the party in a position where they have to die. That's that to me is that's on me, right? I can kill them anytime I want, but if I'm doing it, I'm probably not DMing very well. Oh my God, Thorne, I just had visions of Chaz Palminteri locking the bar door on the bikers. Now you can't leave. That's from Bronx Tale. <laughs> Granted, my player has no problem locking the door on 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 on, on characters. <laughs> no, that's a little different. That's super heroic and awesome yeah. and epic. That's different. Yeah. I thought they'd lock the door and say manners make the man, but go on. <laughs> you know, when we think about it in terms of okay, we're gonna rush in and either players win, either the players win or the players die, that's a very gaming gamey kind of video game mindset you know okay players die, characters die we reset the game or whatever or, or go back to the save point that's not really what i want in my D, &D games in a role-playing game i want them to be invested in those characters but part of that investment part of them caring about the characters living means i need to give them the opportunity to get out of the battle when it goes against them yeah so start i start dropping those hints when it starts to look bad i will start i will usually you know start helping them spot ways to maybe escape or ways to get out if they come up with a plan to escape i'm liable to let it work because I'd rather the party choose to retreat rather than 
be wiped out by the monsters. And they're going to be wiped out and they make that decision. Well, then that's their decision. But there should be that point where they realize, hey, we're beaten. We got to run or we're going to die. And dying is not good. If I care about these characters, I should not be willing to let them die just because I don't feel like running away from a fight. Having said that, if I feel like I have locked them in, I will generally go for the TPK, the total, the TPC, the total party capture instead of the total party kill, depending on the situation. There's also something there of, you know, with the red cap battle. So this was when we had uh, six red caps fighting six level two PCs because the DM did not necessarily understand the CR system very well. So that's on me. You know, so at that point, it became almost comical. It's, you know, it's, it, that no longer becomes, hey, you guys ran into a little ambush to slow you down. That now becomes, hey, you guys ran into an ambush to just, you had no chance and you were beaten up. And that to me is, okay, that's a capture. You know, that villain probably wants to capture you in my mind. You know, if they're going to, if they if they got you, if they drop the cage on you, they're usually going to capture you. I think that's kind of the, what should happen next there. But with that said, honestly, something that is a thin line. We're talking about a couple of thin lines, I think, tonight. But one of them is the players that just must bum rush, like he talked about. Mm-hmm. There's a map. We're rushing. Let me tell you, I've not done a lot of maps. And there's a monster. I'm like, oh, it's a nine-headed dragon with scorpion tails. And it's raining fire around it as an aura. And it, everywhere it steps, it's creating lava. Like, they're attacking. No. <laughs> and if there's a TPK in that situation... Well, tough crackers. That is a situation I would absolutely kill them dead as doornails. I'm like, I don't need to drop hints. I'm like, this thing was dropping meteors around it as it sneezed, and you ran up and tried to hug it. I mean, if- that's fair too. I mean, because there there's different things going on there, right? That is meant. To, that's not meant to be an encounter they had. That was meant to be an encounter they respected. So now, if they have chosen not to respect the far out of their league monster. Well, then there's got to be some punishment, right? I mean, they've transgressed. (laughs) They have not respected. You you, you tried to tell them that they need to learn that to exist in this world the way you want this world to be. Um, I still, in those battles, will generally give them some hints of when they should start running away now. You know, and if if that means someone dies and the rest of the party escapes, fine. I mean, does the CR-20 dragon really want to take the time to chase down the level 2 rogue? Probably not. That's probably like, you know, a couple breath weapons, get out of here, you know, kill the players right next to me. And if the rest run away, well, fine. You can spread my legend. Mm. So, yes, I guess that's our advice. None of us say you should. None of us are are really pro TPK. I mean, if it happens under certain circumstances, it happens. There are definitely times it's going to happen. But, you know, you've got to know as a DM coming in, what are you doing with that encounter? And, And decide for yourself, is this something the party deserves to die for? So ominous, <laughs> but it is ominous. I think we got to put that in there because it is. This isn't. Oh, ha ha ha! TPK. This is. Do you deserve to die for that mistake? That's mm. what we're talking about here, right? Yeah, mm. it's it, uh, it's just evolved with the game too. You know, we've said this before in the early that days. That was what that that was what it was because you literally had like two hit points. So like you were dying, right? It, it was going to happen. No character um, investment. Yeah. But it's evolved, and it's so – they've turned it so uh, really going after the story-based stuff. And I think especially with a lot of the new people coming into the hobby now, uh, they're they're coming in because of that story-based thing, that communal story-based thing. And, you know, they don't – not everybody wants the Game of Thrones, you know, where every all your heroes are dying all the time, you know. But you know it's there. But I, I oftentimes question when I see some of these people on, like, the Reddit boards or Facebook or something. They're like, oh, I kill them immediately, this and that. You know, like, 
well, do you really? Or are you just like, is this some sort of like weird macho posturing for D&D? Like, you know, like some weird DM <laughs> macho crap or something. Like, I make sure I kill really a player in the first and, like, session. And do they have fun? I mean, if they're having fun, that's cool. But like, you know, yeah. You know, having having been a, been a player through a lot of that evolution, I came in more or less, I came in as second edition, not so much in first. But I think that, you know, while we can look at it as, yeah, the game has grown in this way, it's become more story-based, I also think that is the game evolving on itself. That is not an external development of the game. I think when we go back to those early editions and we talk about how, quote-unquote, cool it was that the characters died every five minutes and this guy who you finally played up to level four dies and you got started getting at level one, well, that's like that's like Nintendo games, right? That's like Atari games, like Contra, like uh, Mike Tyson's mm. Punch Out when there was no save points, right? I mean, yeah. like in what you learn in computer gaming is that wasn't really the funnest experience. And I think in role playing games, what happened is as we learned through first edition and learned through second edition and learned through third edition, what I think the designers and the players are finding is the best games are the ones where you have a connection to that character and a story around that character, and that leads to your best role playing games. So a TPK, like the, the, the attitude that I'm going to TPK them whenever whenever I get a chance to undermines what leads to the most memorable role-playing games. You, you're not going to have the most memorable campaigns if the characters have the players have to keep restarting their characters. On the other hand, totally agree with what Tony said here many times, death has to be a real thing. You can't undermine the threat of death because death is what adds veracity and adds investment into what those characters do. So there's a balance Absolutely. here. You know, they, so, so kill them if they deserve it. I guess is, 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 is the best. <laughs> if they deserve it and you think you can work your way out of it and you're okay with whatever the outcome might be, yeah, go ahead and kill them. But otherwise, <laughs> we've talked about some other options. And uh, an accidental death, if it happens, it happens. It was yeah. an accident. But, you know, you do have options even then. Like, if it's really an accidental death, you can take them to another plane. You can do the Goku on Snake Way kind of story. The 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 maybe there it's like ripped where they're now agents. You can you can continue with characters after death if you want to there's a lot of ways to do it you know i mean if you want to get creative with it if you're like okay i want this tpk to stick but i don't want to ruin the game well maybe they meet their makers maybe it's you know dragon ball z literally has this kind of like like office lifestyle afterlife of you go in you meet the administrator he talks to you and sends you where you're gonna go like you know maybe they meet the administrator yeah. they're pulled in to take on a mission because because of their bravery or something so there's options to tpk and keep it going um tony's point again tony you you make a good point they can be full of cheese you got to see if your players want to do this if it's going to ruin things for the players and for you but you can you know, you can you can shift. You, there's nothing stopping you from having the first TPK. Uh, Red Dead Redemption does this, and the Red Dead Redemption. What was it called? Zombies. The uh, the yeah the, uh, yeah, there the, was the zombie, zombie mode for that. Yeah, the zombie mode for Red Dead Redemption. You start off as a regular human being, and then when you die, you are brought back as an as like as like a servant of death. <laughs> You're brought back as back as a mystical character. Continue going. So. If the TPK, if if the circumstances lead to a TPK that you don't necessarily want to walk back, your other option is to play them as undead or play them as spirits. Or now they're agents of the of of, of the Rio uh, Ripped Squad, the RIPD. Um, there's 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 precedent out there you can draw from, and so long as you and the players enjoy it, have at it. I've definitely had some players meet their makers and come back with with new stuff and new missions because they met their deity. That can be fun if it's not too cheesy. All right, guys, anything else well, to say sorry. on TPKs? I think That's we all. covered most of our thoughts on that. Moving on to the next question we've gotten from uh, some of our wonderful listeners here. How do you get a player to keep their character sheet updated? 
when they don't. And I think we can add some context to this, where I really think what's being talked about here is every now and then you'll be in games where the players don't do their homework. You know, Mm -hmm. they don't level up between games. They don't study up on their spells. They don't know how their stuff works. They're not keeping their character sheet up to date. What do you do about that? I think that falls into player engagement. So you could pretty much determine if that player is really into your game, they show up ready to hit the deck running. And if you have a player who's like, okay, it's 12 on a Sunday, let me start going to the book and pick some spells. You're like, those are two entirely different players you're dealing with. Yeah. A lot of times you have a group that is a mixture of those players too, right? It, and it's uh, that's a tough one, right? Because you don't want to be like everyone wants to have fun. And if they're coming and having fun, is that necessarily wrong? But what a lot of times what I'll do certain circumstances, it might be a little different. I might be a little more lenient. But if you didn't level up with the rest of the party, then and they're level six and you're level five or something and you don't have new spells, then that's that's going to really suck for you guys when they need some spell that you might have now and you don't have it. You know, and oh, I didn't level. Oh, well, you should do that, you know, or if they forget, you know, half of the things that could get them. I know Thorn has dealt with this where some of the encounters are built kind of knowing the powers and abilities of the players. And, you know, you just they don't even realize that that's in their character. And meanwhile, the party's dying because of it. Um, (laughs) As a player, I I love that. Yeah, it's not really on you as the DM, you know, but I'm, I also don't want to be like, did everybody level up? Okay, and take attendance, right? Like I'm taking roll call in the beginning of uh, the session. You know, you're, it's fair when you say this is a tough question. However, we are the three wise DMs. I think, you know, so I think we, how do we deal with this? And as you said, Dave, I've run into this. I know Tony's run into this. I'm pretty sure you've run into this. I know you've run into this. Yeah, um, yeah. So what are the, like, like really what's the play here, right? You, you have a couple things. Number one, is this a player who just doesn't respect your game, really doesn't want to be there, or, you know, who just isn't going to put in the work and isn't going to put in the same level of work as the other players? You do need to start from the point of view of, is this someone who I think needs to go? And maybe you could boot that player. You could say, look, if you're not going to keep up with everyone else, you're not going to put everyone else is trying to do this and you're kind of ruining it because you're not doing your homework. You're, you're not, you're not paying enough attention. You can, as a DM, decide. I mean, there's, of course, you can. But I mean, I think you have some justification if you say, "Look, this isn't what I want my game to be." This player, you know, I'm sorry, we just, you know, you got to be more into it. I think you should go find another game. Having said that, it gets more complicated when it's a player who you know likes it, you know wants to be there, and there's circumstances. They don't know the game very well. Maybe they don't have their own books. They're a new player someone brought in. Maybe they, uh, you know, maybe they're just really busy outside of the game and you know this like you know this to be true like you know what they've been up to and you know that they're just coming in here they want to play they like playing they're into it but they're not, they have zero time to pay attention to it outside of the game i think if that's the situation you have a couple options number one if it's someone who you feel like could be spending more time i think you need to treat you need to treat it a little more like a manager and you all know how i hate playing manager as dm i'm not getting paid to manage people uh but you can you can start leaning on them a little bit and i think you should Use a little negative reinforcement. You use a little negative feedback. You, I think it is okay in that situation to make clear you were displeased by showing some of your impatience. By, you know, being like, you know, maybe it's not like, you know, maybe it's a come on, man. You know, everyone know your characters. You can make some statements like, you know, er, you guys got to know your powers. That's not my job. You can say some things like that because you are sending the message. That's how the game's supposed to be. Thorin uh, absolutely has said that. 
<laughs> I've heard those words from his mouth at the table. And it's because I also want to say those words. And I'll, I'll jump in there too, Thor. I just want to uh, piggyback on that. Uh, uh, we've talked about it before where players help players. You know, the people who are new to the game, who, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of mechanics, even with streamlined play. So players help them too, you know, especially the more experienced players, players who have DM before. Like, you know, be part of that, uh, be part of that group. One thing that did come to me, though, that I think is a nice idea, too, is if you're going to level up, save some time at the end of the session. Do a section of the leveling up at the table. Have them roll out their new hit points. Have them look in the book. Ooh, what stuff do I get? You know, (laughs) you don't just take average. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, well, it's not average. It's like it's like it's like 55 percent. I think I think in most cases you're going to get 60 percent. Well, um, I know uh, Roderick the Bard has to take the average one because it's the, I can't possibly roll like a two or three. I'll just die. I'll die. I'll die. <laughs> He's I a great to. character, though. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's a good point, too. You can ask, and I think the other players should help, you know, and if, you know, we're all, the players are in this together. And one of the things we talked about a little bit in one of the others uh, in, in, in the Problem Players episode was, you know, you want to watch out for the party where the players start acting like the pl- other players aren't their problem or aren't part of the party. Hey, that's something else to think about. You know, get a player investment by asking them to help each other. I mean, if the play, if the player doesn't have the knowledge or feel comfortable leveling up, I think, yes, that's a great opportunity to kind of have a buddy system between players that could build camaraderie. Did I say that correctly? Uh, camaraderie. Camaraderie. Yeah. Camaraderie. Yeah, we just um, trademarked that. That's a new type of camaraderie. I, I, I think I we're out of trademarks for this episode. I just created a word. <laughs> And um, that's fantastic. But, you know, as far as, you know, the players don't have time. Okay. As a DM, like, I throw 10 hours of time into creating an episode. Like, I'm everything in this universe. And, like, you can't, like, roll your hit points up and add plus one to your attack roll. I'm looking at you giving the stink eye. Like, oh, come on. And the games are two weeks apart. <laughs> like, I, you know, you don't have the books. I've got every app on my phone. It's like it's got everything. It's all for free. You can find it all. So... That's kind of echo Thorne's words. Some of this has got to be a little bit on the players too. Now, on the flip side of that, I've had players who have blown me away with what's on their character sheet. They're like, I want to ask about um, that book we found in the other library that was green with the red bookmark. And I'm like, what the fuck are you what? talking about? <laughs> They're like, yeah, yeah. You remember when um, the wizard and the monk were having tea and then I was talking to the court and I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, I completely forgot about that. <laughs> This is real. They're paying attention. <laughs> and that's and that's wonderful. So, I mean, that's the other end of that. Some of these players really do take fantastic notes and very lovingly update their sheet. And that's, that's super cool. I, I want to piggyback on that, Tony. I want to piggyback on that because it's a great point because uh, it goes back to our episode when we talked about the different types of players and what, what brings people to enjoy, you know, role-playing games and stuff. And I'm going to call him out by name here. I'm going to call out Tom, uh, Sir Morton. Um, because Tom is, is pretty much a new player. I think he played a little bit way back in the day in the early days of it, but he didn't really, he wasn't really a tabletop, uh, gamer. Uh, so he came in, uh, he's playing a paladin, um, a wonderfully role-played paladin and has had, he's definitely better now with, he, he knows his spells. He knows his spell slots. He knows how to smite. He knows, like he, the mechanics are coming a lot easier for him now. He's not asking as many questions as to, okay, what do I do now? 
um, as he did in the early days, which is awesome. But I will give him all the props because I remember when we were actually gaming at the table, an actual table where everyone was actually around it. No. Um, yeah, it happened. The days. It happened. <laughs> um, I got up to get like a drink or something, and I just happened to glance at his sheet. And where there should have been all types of math and plus one and this and that, he had like character notes, like notes on who is Sir Morton and what is his driving. And I was like, holy shit, that's some deep level role play, man. Like that's next level stuff. Like, and you see that when he's playing, he might not be as much in the mechanics of it and he might need some, some, some refreshers, but he knows exactly what his character is doing, you know, and plays yeah. it to the end, you know. So, again, it's what you – it depends. You know, Thor's not going to necessarily get pissed at him for that because he's he sees that he's engaged in the game, right? So, with that said, he will sometimes still say, know your powers. <laughs> yeah, that's actually – that's a great example, though, because that is a case where I have tried to – on the one hand, not say that's okay, but on the other hand, yeah, you know, I, I definitely want him in the game, and it's and it's uh, and he's probably going to listen to this episode actually. I mean, he's 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 great to have at the table. I love his role playing. He's come a long way with the kind of more mechanical stuff, and it's exactly yeah. that. It's like I need to put just enough pressure in here so the player understands this is a problem, but not so much pressure that I crush the player. Because uh, yeah. believe me, if I, if I if I let go with something, I can cry. <laughs> I can crush someone and drive them away from the game. I'm not going to try not to do that. So it's just yeah. it's just you know it's it's that manager it's that management kind of voice. And honestly, not something I was great at as a manager. Probably not something <laughs> I'm great at even now. But it's just that kind of letting enough annoyance show that it is clear this really isn't acceptable. But just fix it. You know, just get it to, just just figure it out. Just get it together. We're fine. You know, no one's kicking me out of the game or anything. Just just, just trying to, because you can't hide it all because then the game gets worse. You know, if you make it seem like it's all okay, then it gets worse. You need to at least put enough frustration out there that everyone understands this isn't what it's supposed to be. At the same time, yeah, you know, come on, let's just move along. Let's just fix it. Let's get going. We'll get to the next. Yeah. Get to the I, next. I would look for the root of the problem on, on why that is. Like, do they not know where to begin? Um, do they find that they're going to screw up their sheets? That kind of stuff. That's the kind of things I'd like to work with them, you know, days before we get to the game. Well, I mean, that's not necessarily something I had the time to do either. You know, it's it's the players are kind of are, are running their own characters. And I think, you know, we've talked about this before. We're all, you know, we're, most of the players are 40s and older. Um, some aren't, but most of them are. And it's a lot of people who don't really have the time off game to spend a ton of time prepping for the game. Yeah. It's fair to say you're the DM. I'm the DM. I'm doing it. You guys should be too. At some point as an adult, I do feel like that starts falling short. I certainly put in less prep as a DM than I used to because I don't have the time. Cause when I'm not at the table, I got other stuff I got to be doing. And I think we all do. So when you have a new player as an adult and you recognize that's kind of part of what that's going to be like, I think you can do some things like I don't mind when we get together. I do ask everyone first and foremost, are your sheets updated? If they're not, what do we need to do to get them there? Um, you know, we got some pushback on the, what are the best characters for the, for new players? We got some people saying that was a terrible thing to do. They hate it. Let players play whatever they want it. They hate it. The idea that the game should pressure a player into a character. Here's the deal. If I know that's the case, if I know this is a new player, it's an older player. They're not going to put any time in outside of the game. I really, they're not going to be able to play a wizard very well because they're not going to spend the time on the spells. Absolutely. That's the thing. It's like, these are the things, brass tacks, 
realistic, pragmatic things you can recognize and try to take action for. So Tom's playing a paladin. He's doing a great job playing a paladin. There's some spell selection. It's relatively limited. Occasionally, there's been some stuff he's had to catch up on that, because some of the paladin stuff is a little tricky. How do your smites work? You have two things called smites, and they happen at different times. It's really annoying that way. <laughs> but he's done a good job catching up to that. But, you know, that was, like, in retrospect, you know, uh, my wife, my wife is playing Sifa the Barbarian, and I can tell her character was so much easier for her to have fun with than the Paladin is. And I've seen her play a Druid in another game where she had to pick spells and know what it did, and that was hard for her because she's not putting that time in outside the game. And as an adult, she's not going to. I mean, we're not talking about 18-year-olds who are trying to train to be good players. We're all just trying to have a good time, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's part of it is, you know, kind of trying to figure out where can you – where can you put them? Where, what kind of character classes can you put them in that are easier? And then also, I don't mind building in some time beginning of the game, especially because 5th edition is pretty quick to level up. Like, if, if the whole party's going to level up at the table, okay, dudes, we're coming together, level up in the first half hour, then we're going to go play the game. And sometimes I've let that go too long, which Tony has seen too. Well, I think it ties into the person who uh, is comfortable leveling their character also, as you've said, knows their powers. And I got to tell you, there was nothing – back to that wonderful memory where I was having my Titanic battle with the Bronze Lich at the end of your 4E campaign. And and we're, like, going back and forth, throwing, like, the you know, the most heavy spells in the, the campaign universe at each other. And I look over, and the Paladin's doing basic attacks. And I'd be like, what <laughs> the fuck is going on here, man? Like, you're killing me. And you I will literally say, built you, for this enemy. <laughs> and, and the, and there were several people at the table trying to teach, trying to show him better. It's just that was a little different. He, he what? I don't even know if I'd say he wouldn't grasp it. He just, you know, he's like, yeah, I, I, I do that. Whatever the attack was. Sort individual too. He's an accountant in real life. It's not like he's a dummy. <laughs> He's 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 saving money by using the cheapest action available. <laughs> he's storing all his power for that right moment. That's uh, yeah, resource management. management. Resource management. So you know, I think we got into right. So so so, what else can we talk about here? As far as the this is a bit about player investment. Yeah, go ahead, Tony. Final thought on that. Yeah, I got to tell you, uh, DMs, your players are never going to get their gold right. Brace yourself for that truth. Even in my campaign, I would oh, bet. He's still, uh, he's still pissed about it, Thor. He's still I, pissed I, I about it. I would bet real money, like, that's not the right figure, plus or minus whatever. And the best part is, I mean, your options are you can track it too, which is one more thing for you to do, which you need, like, to lose a finger, and, or let it ride. And I'm kind of a letting it ride school where it's close enough. Yeah, I want my players <laughs> to stop listening now because, uh, yeah, I don't pay attention to it. <laughs> I've got it written down somewhere. I do have like kind of what I give out at, at each in each session. I'm counting on them. One of the flip sides of that is I have generally not given them enough. But yeah, I've barely let them get to any city suspended anyway. So yeah, I mean, where are we spending it, right? So I, All I, I know I'm gonna let you guys go to a city. I let the Woodstock Wanderers spend two full sessions in a city. I thought I was very generous. Yeah, yeah. We're on session 23, people. Just want to let you know. <laughs> <laughs> all, all I know is I asked for a gold tally at the end of my one game, and we got it was like say seventeen thousand, and then we got to the shop and we're like, oh, well we have twenty seven thousand, and I'm like, say what? Because I priced all this stuff. That was that was your fault because we gave you the gold tally, then fault. we got the dragon sword with ninety eight hundred gold pieces. No, 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 you guys had the total gold, and then you all had your stuff in your own personal stashes. That was very were... accurate before the dragon sword, which we. <laughs> what do you want? What do you want? We're sneaky. 
And then your escrow account. And yeah. 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 Roderick has like lots of lines of credit. He's very, you know, he's noble man. credits for that bar. Hey, actually, you want to talk about something interesting? You guys haven't gotten deeply into Call of Cthulhu. They do a really cool thing with this. Call of Cthulhu doesn't waste any time tracking money. You have a credit rating. Your credit rating is a one through five, and each level indicates an amount of spending you can afford. And like, if you're like a one, you like can only you can, you like can't afford a bed to a bed to sleep in. If you're a three, you have like as much money as like a middle class person. If you're a five, you could afford yeah. to rent like like you could afford to rent out like a hotel, you know, like a whole hotel. But that's, that's it. Yeah, the space rip system does uh, something very similar. Your uh, resources are based. It's a it's a power level, so it's like you know remarkable, monstrous, unearthly, whatever. And yeah, it's built on okay. Well, Tony Stark has you know incredible or something, so he can afford this, 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 and then you can have like lines of credit. So yeah, it stops you from having to account for like you know little electrum pieces and stuff but that's a monstrous one right it's medieval you don't have lines of credit in you know in fantasy world like that well i mean you want to get historical you absolutely the knights templar the reason they were a big deal is because they absolutely oh no 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 no. i know i know historically i mean more like the D thing finding treasure and you know cold pieces it's kind of gotten into it sir you know sir morton may actually be a money lender and he might be he may be from a paladin order of money of money lenders (laughs) that could be their thing (laughs) Bahamut Sacred Bank. We haven't really looked into it that deeply. That's right. Like green dots. I mean, I mean, it's not just the color anymore, you know? Yeah, this is me being a bit of a history buff. I would love to work more of that in because I feel like it's so it's so neat and it's like it adds so much in terms of the roots of your story, you know? Because yeah. when you get into it, like, you know, why are these factions warring? You know, often it's just, ah, they just conflict. Well, if you look at, for instance, why the Knights Templars were exterminated, it's because the Pope owed them a lot of money. And he basically told another king, hey, you can go wipe them out and keep their money. Just my debt's gone. I mean, it, I'm oversimplifying mm-hmm. dramatically. But that is more or less what happened there. I All mean, the that, money. Is, that is exactly the sort of thing that you do recreate in D&D. But if you don't like get into that bit of history, you don't have the roots of it. And you don't have that little bit of crunchy, uh, uh, that, that, that very similitude to it. So, however... Uh-huh. No one asked about this. So this is not so, so so oddly enough, none of our followers asked us how do we manage money in our games. So maybe we should move on to the next to, to, <laughs> Surprise enough. That, that, that makes me wonder, you know, are are we far afield here? Are we getting too deep into <laughs> the wonk? You know? like, I am a history D D wonk here. I'll get we'll, we'll get into it. I post, we just posted something about why why isn't why isn't code of plate slash Brigandine armor in five E. I'm personally very upset about this. But okay. <laughs> next question. What are some good monster combos? Now, the gentleman who asked about this, an old buddy of mine, Miggy, who used to work with uh, at Wizard Entertainment, um, he was asking me about this because you know he he point he had noticed that Shambling Mount has a neat ability where if you hit it with electricity, it heals. So how can you combo that? Admittedly, my first instinct was, hey, I can combo that by having a player who awakens one and feeds it with lightning spells because I want to be that player. But besides that. Um, <laughs> You know, what are some ways, what are some monster combos? I mean, this one works out really well if you throw it in, obviously, with like a bay here or a blue dragon um, or anything that shoots lightning. You know, you know, I, I think a blue dragon tending a little grove of shambling mounds is hilarious and will really give your party a wake up call. That would That's be horrifying. Insanity. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, the funny thing with this, when when I saw this question come through, um it's what it's 
it's the thing that I love about this is because no matter how much you do, how much you read, how much you, you play, like you see something, you go, oh, I, I never thought of that. I literally never thought of comboing a monster based off like something like this, a shambling mound with the, with the lightning and then shoot lightning at it. And you're, you know, you just buffed your monster like way past the CR in essence. Because uh, yeah. I always looked at that more as like, ooh, this will be a cool thing to catch the person who always likes to throw lightning. <laughs> yeah, now, too bad for you now, right? But it's a cool idea. I literally have never thought of it. Stop though. hating so on my character. I, I've never thought of it. I've never thought of it. What about you, Tony? I don't know. I, I feel like this strikes me as a little gimmicky. Um and, and a bit in the respect of, like, we stepped up to the holodeck and Hallister's running the holodeck session. <laughs> but with that said, all the earlier editions did love this stuff. I mean, you could do something to the effect of you have a high-level encounter where a bunch of fire giants come at you and there's a red dragon in the background and it just blasts the field with fire. Well, Done you know, that. his, his frontline guys are perfectly garden fresh. They'll eat that all day. Meanwhile, you all have third-degree burns. <laughs> yeah. I remember, I remember there was one scenario back... At, this doesn't work like this apparently anymore, gentlemen, correct me if I'm wrong, um, but lightning doesn't reflect anymore. No, it doesn't. No, not, Fireballs no, no longer go down hallways. So there was a scenario where the players came into a room and there was several storm giants and they would just start winging lightning bolts around them and start reflecting off the walls, hitting everybody themselves multiple times. It doesn't bother them, but it takes a normal tactic deadly and makes it preposterous. <laughs> you saw that in Baldur's Gate where the lightning bolts would reflect and you could just set a lightning bolt reflecting down a hallway and wind up hitting the same guy four times with one lightning bolt. It's oh a shame God. they don't let you do it. I mean, I get why they don't, because it totally breaks their scaling and they're really, you know, Destroys that. Destroys uh, it. Yeah, it does. Because they're, they're in this, uh, they're, they're in this basically 30 point bounded accuracy system. And that totally breaks your bounded yeah. accuracy. Um, yeah. But I kind of yeah. liked it. Cause I like it when I was a player, I could set something like that up. Having said that you really need to be in the kind of using maps to do that. You know, if you're doing that theater of the mind, you're, you're pushing it. You're pretty much just letting it happen. Yeah, I've never seen a, a, like a wizard throws up a globe of invulnerability, uses a wand of lightning bolts, uses down a corridor, murders everybody, comes back, hits him six times. He's got his globe up, he takes no damage. Yeah, uh, that gets very abused. Some things that could be cool, we actually just played a game with Umber Hulks, and I have always had Umber Hulks come at the party from the side. Yeah, if usually they, they burst in through a sidewall of a tunnel and grab someone and try to run away. But if you use that, yes, computer yes, that's game, exactly what happened. Yes, it is. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what happened. You know, with yeah, that confusion yeah. gaze in the holes they make, if you have oh, them come up underground, I, and you I, start I, confusing people, and now people run into holes because they're confused. Boom. Oh man, that's a good. You know, that's 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 a self-contained combo right there. Um, I, I see some people have used, uh, you know, darkness is very handy with anything with dark vision. So, for instance, a dark mantle can do dark, uh, has a darkness horror once per day. Comboing that with anything with dark vision is a, is a good place to start. Takes sight away from the party. Of course, some parties really invest in dark sight themselves. You know, it is fun to have a, to, to have a warlock in some darkness and the, and the devil sight ability so that you can basically make it dark for the enemy. So this might be off, just offsetting the party's bonuses. Even better, because you're talking about the storm kings group and we have two warlocks that both have the devil sight so they both have 120 feet in darkness so it's just like open the map open the whole map <laughs> well we can see it we can see all this all this stuff yeah. oh and and someone's got an invisible familiar he just 
runs around, like, look, all this dark stuff on the map, I send my invisible familiar out to open it up. <laughs> Just turn off your fog of war, DM, unless you got a locked door, because Patty the, Patty the Leprechaun Imp is going to check out your entire dungeon while he's invisible. Dragon, lock the door, sorry. Keep up. Lock the door. Along the lines of the, of the electricity and the shambling mound, iron golems, I believe, still heal from heat. So having like flame imps or red dragons with iron golems is not a bad idea. It just is a different perspective on on conditions and condition immunities and damage resistances is mm. check it out. And, you know, I think most of the time, I know for me, I look at it as how is this affecting the players as opposed to how does this necessarily affect the monster in a positive way, right? In a way that, oh, well, now I've just, I have this frontline fighter that I can just keep feeding the whole time, right? Yeah. Um, so I think that it's just a, a shift in perspective when you're looking at some of the stat blocks. Open your idea to like, what can I add to this to make this thing way scarier? <laughs> Having said that, I will say as, some, as a DM who does some of this stuff, yeah, I've certainly, I will certainly combo monsters. We'll talk about that in a second. But whenever you do it, you do want to be careful because you are likely going to make your scenario deadlier than Wizards intended and deadlier than the comp, than the CR rating indicates. So be careful. You know, if you're going to combo up the Shambling Mounds and the Blue Dragon, be aware that a Blue Dragon using its breath weapon to kill the party and heal its own Shambling Mounds is a harder threat than either of those two things alone. That's gently Considering. Yeah, considering this was like the the uh, the IE, right? Like, what do you think about combos? IE, a blue dragon and a shambling mound. Fuck the shambling mound. There's a blue dragon there. Like, right. Yeah, but the blue I'm dragon, way more concerned about that. Shambling know? mounds are very dangerous in their own right, and then oh, they keep healing. Absolutely. <laughs> if I'm at the level where I'm coming up against blue dragons, though, like shambling mounds, all right, yeah, like I, you know, yeah, move slow, get out of his way. So you put your damage on the Shambling Mound, which has a lot of hit points. Then the Blue Dragon Breath Weapons it. And now the Shambling Mound, one, you lose down, you lose health hit points to the Breath Weapon, and the Shambling Mound yeah. comes right back up. And the Blue yeah. Dragon is still sitting at a distance, like, filing its nails while you guys fight with its Shambling Mounds. Continue, continue. <laughs> uh, and by the way, the Iron Golem does, in fact, heal from fire. So Iron Golems and fire, match made in heaven. Uh, but keep in mind, too, all of these things also go for the PCs. You can find them. I believe you can find a manual to make golems. I'm not sure it's in the book. I know the clay golem one's in the book. But if you can find a manual to make golems, if, if your wizard can make an iron golem and your wizard can cast a fireball, your wizard is now, his iron golem's now like three times more dangerous. So that sort of thing, really good to do. Uh, I do wish I had done the bug the, uh, the 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 umber hulks from underground instead of from the side. So we could have played with maybe I could have made the party fall down some deep holes. That would have been fun for me. Oh, yeah. No, that's um, great. Yeah, with the confusion. So let's see. Like if we're just gonna think about you know, so like I said, I do as a DM. I do tend to bring relatively complex encounters to the game. Bare minimum, there'll usually be some crunchy things up front for the guys to fight. There'll usually be something that's kind of a maximum CR that is the big scary thing. And then there'll probably be some some ranged and or some kind of fast flanking units or units attacking with stealth from behind. Uh, so if I really want to bring it, It'll be a combination of things. It'll be it'll be a, a high CR monster, and either that'll be a tank, or there'll be some tanky kind of monsters in there to, to hold the fighters. I will absolutely attack the back line 
Uh, just because you're in the back doesn't mean you're safe from missile attacks or from things coming up behind you. Um, but I tend to like to mix things up like that. So, for example, um, spiders are great for this at low levels. You know, you can have you can you can have the party engaged with goblins or boars or whatever you want them engaged with, and then have some spiders drop down from the trees behind them and attack them like midway through the combat, like third or fourth round. That's a, that's a great way to keep them on their toes. You know, anything that can kind of get in behind them so the party knows they can't just count on basically having the guys in front of them stuck on their fighters and stuck on their on their tanks. I think it's a really good idea. It is fun to try to possess party members. Often doesn't work because if the party's playing carefully, they will notice it and try to stop it. But if you can take over one of the party members with a ghost or something, that's always a lot of fun. You know, you, you, there's nothing wrong with using undead and poison. Put your undead out there and you, you send a poison cloud out onto the field or some kind of poison mushrooms out there that the undead are immune to and the party's not. Asymmetrical warfare, as they like to call it, always fun. Yeah, those are like some of the easy things. I will say one of the things that I really think is important if you're really trying to get more interesting with your encounters is ranged attacks. Because ranged attacks, if everything you're running has to run up to someone and hit them, you're really only playing with half of the game. You're really only playing with half of your map. If you have ranged attackers, especially mobile ranged attackers, you can maybe shoot and then scoot, you know shoot and scoot. You know, shoot, get out of there, go somewhere else, hide, shoot again. Much like the players' rogues are doing all over the place. That kind of throwing a couple of those in almost any fight is it just makes things makes the players have to think a little more critically about what they're doing and use some spells to do other other things and just eat up the hit points of the frontline fighters. So those are some some light encounter building tips. Um, I don't know, Tony, we've been me and Dave have been going on here. What about you? What anything else you do to make the monsters to, 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 to with monster combos or to make the monster special? Well. I feel like surprise is definitely very underused. Mm. Players, you know, really, they're walking around like, ha-ha. Like, if you have that player who loves to, like, run in and start running around, like, we've all had that buddy back in the day that would do that. Like, I made a joke about the one fighter. I wanted to actually put, like, a freaking cord around him so you couldn't run away too far. But um, <laughs> some a good surprise or two will nip that right in the ass. With ranged combat, electricity in this system has a preposterous range. You can pull, you can pelt guys with lightning from, <laughs> I mean, a storm giant's lightning bolt is got a range of 500 feet. That is some good stuff. Well, we good luck finding where the sniper line. is. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you'll see the giant, he's big, but the point stands, you, you really take a pounding before you run up there. And you're right. Yeah, you're using a, a portion of your map. And I don't know, we tried that too. We had, we had those like far apart encounters and that really does change the dynamic you know all these guys who specialize in their dual blades and all that stuff well guess what you are three full rounds away are you double moving are you moving and tacking what's happening here comes rocks and arrows i i will say the one thing we did find with that though was be careful starting an encounter so far away that both parties uh, are spending many turns running at each other. Yeah. That is not something 5e does well. Three turns, if someone's like, if, if the basic movement of, the, of your basic party member is 30 feet, I think you're okay to start them 90 feet apart's fine. You know, so someone's got a double move, then take a, then, so on the first turn, someone's got it, you know, you got a dash. And then on your second turn, you got to move, you can move and attack. That's okay. You can make it a little further out if you want to, but I think I tried. I tried to start one encounter out at like they're 500 feet away, or like they're even like if they're like 300 feet away. Ten rounds of closing distance while people are exchanging well, missile fire is boring. 
I would warn you against that. You want to start with the with with the melee characters, the melee fighters, and the melee monsters at least within like two turns of starting to be able to hit each other. Yeah. Anything that more than happened that? With the um. Yeah. Yeah, that happened with the uh, when I started out the Slavers Bay one in the arena, and it was just too far. Like I had the arena, the the grounds too big, mm. and it was like the players just started to get discouraged. Like, uh, I guess I'm gonna run again. Uh towards them like you know because it's like 90 feet away and it's just yeah like it, it, it can be cool if if that's like where you end up with the group that they do a lot of range kind of the things and stuff like that to kind of try to shut them down but you know maybe don't start there yeah there's there's definitely an optimum range for 5e battles and it's within about 100 feet within at least 100 feet of each other i think is my thinking. I mean, your, your, your missile fighters can be further away. You want to, you want to put a guy with a bow 300 feet away. Fine. But like your main, like your melee guys really shouldn't be more than a hundred feet, starting a hundred, more than a hundred feet away from each other. And usually starting kind of closer. I mean, I love a good ambush. Usually someone's ambushing someone else. So they're starting pretty close. So that's it for now. You know, I think this is a good thing to come back to with an article later. You know, maybe we can do some brainstorming and come up with an article of top creature combos we can think of. I'm sure That'll be uh, throw back to my inquest days making magic card combos. That'll be a fun. <laughs> we'll put one of those together. <laughs> All right, so let's get into something even crunchier. So this is a recent question that came to us. Actually, the question that made us uh, decide to do this episode: an issue regarding casting spells. You know, page page two hundred five of the player's handbook talks about says to target something, you must have a clear path to it so it cannot be behind total cover. However, with spells that don't explicitly say in line of sight, you must see or touch the target. How do you handle players if they insist the spell of a range 60 feet can be cast around like a building or a corner? And I do think this is something that gets a little bit... Uh, you know, when you have to see someone, it's easy. If you can see them, you can see them. I know that Jeremy Crawford has issued rulings that say, like, you need, like, like a window will stop some things. Because you know, if a window, like if you have a wall with a window, you don't have line of effect through the through through the wall or window theoretically. However, I mean, if you're casting something like Mind Spike, where it's actually a spike, or you know, Eldritch Blast, where it's actually a blast of force, I don't see how a window is stopping you getting through it. I mean, if it's if it's Toll the Dead, uh, Toll the Dead does specify you can see, but theoretically, something with like a sonic component, I mean, does that need to be able? Do, do you need to be on the right side of the wall for that to take effect? How do you guys play this with the line of sight versus line of effect, and what actually breaks line of effect? When I was looking at that question, he used dissonant whispers specifically, um, and, I, and I kind of give that a little bit of thought. So scenario: um, the caster is 30 feet away from an orc. An orc is hiding behind a pillar and has full cover, um, and he is 30 feet away. Does is he able to line them up? And my short answer is yeah, because it is a melody that the caster is playing, and that orc most certainly can hear that spell. So does that spell specify they have to be able to see it or no? No, that that's not. a hear. That that's one does not. One. Yeah, that's a hear one. Yeah. But yeah, I I think that's a very much a what is happening in the encounter at that time, you know? Uh, and what is the player doing? Like, is it I, like, again, I kind of go back sometimes to the rule of cool. If they give me some <laughs> crazy-ass, super cool, like, heroic way that they're, uh, you know, getting... I remember in one game, it was a brand-new player, and they, they were in a hallway, and all of his party was in front of him. And I think he was playing, like, a halfling rogue or something like that. But he was like, 
well, what if I, like, can I jump up and bounce off the wall and kind of fire over their heads and get this thing in the in the eye or something? I was like, yeah. And I made him do a couple rolls for it, right? I made him do some acrobatics checks, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, he could, you know, the people were not 10 feet tall, so they weren't going up to the ceiling. So you can go over. If I'm shooting over Sifa the Barbarian, right? She's a halfling. She's a halfling, right? yep. <laughs> and I'm a six-five dragonborn. Yeah, I absolutely can target something over her. But we've also had it where, well, you're kind of like you need to like peek your head around the corner. You mm. do, you would need to run here. You would need to, and as long as you can explain it in a way that makes it sound uh, keeps the verisimilitude mm. of it, I think the I think the characters will go with you. If you're doing it just yeah. because you want to just shut them down, that's a little different. Uh, that's a little different. Yeah, it's a little bit tricky because I do think there's some things I am inclined to DM this more by logic than raw. At the same time, when I'm at the table, I often default to raw because it's an easy, fair way to make your decisions. So I think, you know, I think about it this way. Okay, If you have someone's having dinner inside their house and the party wants to kill them, the bard goes to one side. The party waits by the front door. The bard goes around to the back of the house, dissonant whispers and forces that person to run out the front of the house and the party kills them. That's I wonder what amazing. circumstances... That's amazing. That, that kid came up with that. Yeah. <laughs> I got I mean, I always think in terms of what the players can do. I got to remember, I can do this with the monsters too, with the uh, with amazing. the NPCs too. Good way to slaughter a player. <laughs> That's. A, I'm gonna do that. My bar is going to do that at some point. Because it comes, Make it it comes down to under what circumstances would you allow that? So what if the, if all the windows and doors are shut and the house is well muffled, do I make the decision that, Hey, that's not, it's okay if he can hear it, but it's not okay if he couldn't hear it. Cause the spell certainly makes it sound like that sounds in their head. It doesn't say anyone else can hear that sound. So there is a bit of a logical hole here and a bit of a DM call. I think the, I, I do believe that the rule is written comes down to you need line of effect. Well, they don't use line of effect anymore, but that was the fourth edition term that you do need a way to get your spell from you to them without something physically blocking it. And some spells also need you to be able to see your target, which is a, a, a different requirement entirely. So in theory, a, a, a closed window can theoretically stop line of effect, even if it doesn't stop line of sight. On the other hand, uh, darkness stops line of sight, even though it doesn't stop line of effect. So figuring out exactly how you want to play that does kind of come down to the DM's call of how creative do you want to want to let the players be. You know, sometimes I'm going to do it by roll. It really depends on my mood. But if I'm if, if like how I'd like to play it is a little more. I like it to be a little more based in physics. I like to think about it. Okay, well, can they hear your spell? Do you have a way to do it? And of course, there's nothing stopping the PCs from breaking a window and then casting a spell through it. Yeah, so so I'd probably make them figure that part out or I'd figure that part out and then let it take effect by the thing that made the most sense in my game world. At the same time, I think you are in your rights to say you don't have, as a DM, can you say you don't have line of effects or your spell doesn't work? I think you can. Even the players complaining about it, I think you have that right. I think you can go back, you can look up the sage advice columns you get for that Jeremy Crawford puts out on Twitter, and I think you can find some justification for that. If you want to be a little looser with it, I think that's fine too. You know, I think it's really up to you. As far as the handling the player side of it goes, just be consistent and, and, and have a base to point to, here's how we're going to do it. Have a consistent rule the players can plan around. Don't be wishy-washy with it. Don't be inconsistent with it. Don't make it something the players can't use because they, you don't want to be unpredictable because the players then can't enjoy the world because they're worried more about how are you going to react than how's the world going to react. You want to be solid, stable, so the world is solid and stable, so the players have a have a world they can actually play with, 
not something that's kind of changing with your whims. And as we said last yeah. episode, sometimes you're a different person every time you sit down. So maybe write it down so you don't change depending on your mood. And with that, too, uh, on the player side of things as well, I know I try to do this. The player says, you know, DM says, what do you want to do? The player says, I would like to do this. The DM then asks for a role, narrates it back, blah, blah, blah. That's, in essence, the mechanic of the entire game, right? And we kind of have to honor that, you know? So you make your case. You say, I want to try to do this. If the DM says yay or nay, you have to kind of go with that after a while, you know? I think you have to trust your DM enough to to make a, a fair ruling, you know? Now, if there's something like Thorne says in Raw, where it specifically says X, Y, Z, then try to go with that if you can, I, I think. Try to go with that. It's a it's a nice way to, to control your uh, fiat, as it were. <laughs> DM fiat. Keep that car under control. Good call. Yeah, exactly. Keep the small Italian car under control when you're a DM. <laughs> that's awfully personal mm. yeah <laughs> i mean co- cover uh again it comes kind of back to a thin line because if you have players who are constantly are looking at look at a map and like okay i can get in cover here i could do this that shows that they're engaged and in that yeah. respect that's fantastic on the flip side i've been in situations where unless i had my players on the actual graph on graph paper they were like Oh, I'm standing behind a shoebox. I get at least, you know, plus two to my AC, right? And you don't want to start that precedent either. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's, and that's what I was saying, Tony. Like specifically, uh, I'm gonna reference um, the the battle we had on the airship when we found it on top of the mountain and the white dragon came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and two things that I had asked specifically because I'm very squishy. One was is this over here? And I would like kind of point it out. Is this a crate? Is this cover? Can I hide behind this? Giving you the opportunity to say yay or nay, not saying, oh yeah, I'm hiding behind this, mm-hmm. you know, but allowing you the time to narrate the world. And then secondly, when I wanted to fireball this thing in the face, I wanted to make sure I didn't burn this wooden airship to the ground. So I asked, well, how big is it? Can I, fi- if I threw the fireball back there, could it hit it without hitting the airship, you know? And I'll, and gave you the opportunity as the DM to make a ruling, you know? Yeah, well, I think that's good. I've, I've had players where, like, an encounter started, and they're like, oh, but I was hiding in the trees behind the telephone <laughs> pole, uh, behind the phone booth. And I'm like, really? And also with that, with cover, there, there sometimes there's disparity between, like, I have cover, like, I'm hiding behind a potted plant. Well, okay, is that going to protect you from bow fire? How about a hard wilting spell? Hmm... Well, I mean, in D and D, it 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 protects you in the sense that it gives you cover. Cover is it's not total cover; it's partial cover. So it, it means that they can't necessarily see you so well to hit you. They might hit a part of the plant instead of hitting you. So it's a plus two or a plus five. It's not going to give you total cover. Like you're not going to be protected from being targeted. I will say one thing that I try to work in there is if you get into things that kind of are a little bit simulationist with like combat, cover is a huge deal in any kind of ranged warfare. Like, like I play some World of Tanks. You could absolutely be in situations in that game where you can shoot the other guy and they can't shoot you. Like, it can be done. It's not always fair. Being able to shoot someone, if you do it right, you can absolutely set up where the other person cannot return fire. That is actually a huge aspect of a military combat, like 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 squad-level tactics. Like, if you're, if, if you're 
in the army and you're engaged, you're in a real firefight, what you're trying to do is put your people in a position where they can shoot the other guys, the other guys can't shoot them, and then you use flanking to shoot the other guys where they won't. It's, it's way too complicated. But like, so I know like cover matters there. And it doesn't need to be even like, you don't need to be, have hard cover between you and them. Anything that makes it harder for them to target you or they're only shooting at half of you or they can't see you well enough helps somehow. But I mean, a plus two, like a minus two to their attack or a plus two to your AC isn't that big a deal. A plus five is like, does something give half cover as opposed to full cover? You know, I think if you throw in a plus two here and there, it's not, I think that makes sense in most cases. You know, I think if they're behind a wall or something solid where they're barely poking out, you know, the plus five is probably justified. If they're huddling behind the wall and not doing anything, you know, they, yeah, you know, then, then they probably have full cover. You know, it matters, but I do think you need to talk about what is and what isn't coverable in your game. One of the things I try to do when we're trying to figure this part out is the player will tell me what they want to do. I will, if I don't think it works that way, I'll explain what the situation is and try to let them know what you need to tell me to, to for this to be able to work. Like, um, like if, if the player's coming, if it's, uh, if it's something like, okay, I want to jump up, I want to jump up and shoot this guy, but that guy is behind a wall they can't get to. I want to, I'm going to ask them to tell me how they're getting around that wall. Like, I won't necessarily just say no. I'll let them know what's in the way. What is the aspect? What is the the obstacle to them being able to do what they want to do? So they can then tell me how they overcome that obstacle to do it. I think that's a good way to go about some of these things too. You know, so it's like, okay, if you're trying to dissonant whisper someone who's inside a house with the windows closed, I might say, you know, well, the windows are closed. You don't know how you're going to be able, how he's going to be able to hear it. Well, now the players have the option to think, okay, well, what do we do? Oh, well, we can break a window. You know, they have an option to come up with how do they make it work. So when there's the obstacle, I don't just say no. I try to tell them why it's not going to work and show them so they can address it and maybe come up with a plan to deal with it. You know, that's, I think, the yeah. other thing I throw in here. Yeah, absolutely. But I give you the opportunity as the one running the game to say, you know, okay, well, how are you going to do that? And maybe there's a couple roles that you have to make to do that or yeah. something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but then, you know, honor that. Yeah. And, you know, once you start doing it, you kind of you, you kind of got to stick with it. That's, you know, got to be consistent. So, yeah. <laughs> all right, moving on. We, Wait, we I mean, last week I just hit the guy <laughs> from behind the thing, you know. You know, consistency is the hardest thing because fairness, if you're going to be fair, you need to be consistent. Yeah. And sometimes you make a mistake and you let something go that you don't want to keep letting go. So now you got to walk it back and you got to do that in a way that doesn't make anyone feel like it's unfair. And that's one of the big challenges of the game, you know. So if you can have your philosophy nailed down of how you're going to handle things when you go into the game, then you can make it a lot more consistent, which is going to be a lot more fair. You know, everyone would rather your rules stay the same unless they're constantly talking when they change them. That's probably a different, probably a different problem you have. All right. Related to that, how do you handle knowledge rolls? This is another question one of our some of our uh, our fans have asked. You know, how do you handle using knowledge rolls to reflect what the character might know that the player would or would not know? I think that's a really key component of the game itself, as you see in how I run a game. Um, I like someone tries to do something that's that is in the realm of skills. Let's see some checks based upon their difficulty. Um, we've all read the books. So, I mean, I know a good player doesn't metagame or at least keeps it within the realms of fairness with that. Where they're like, oh, yes, well, that that's a death tyrant beholder. I'm like, really? Your fighter knows that? that that's pretty amazing. <laughs> man, man, that fighter college you went to, really, you killed it. You, um, you think blue is a number. <laughs> like, what, right? what would you know about that? <laughs> well, you see, I did my master's thesis on that. <laughs> but uh, that 
it, with, with anything, you try to break a door, you try to pick a lock. Well, you know what? Your, your character's a scholar. They have investigation skills. They're uh, trying to persuade. They're trying to do all these things. Well, you know, that's part of the continuity and the fairness of your world. I don't know how this is going to this is gonna turn out. What do you know about this? This is a topic that, you know, we know your character is familiar with. Maybe, maybe not. Or maybe this is a more difficult question. Well, let's see what else your character, not you, knows about it. So do you do you do that with a knowledge role or do you do that by just determining based on what you think that characters come across? Uh, there's going to be knowledge roles. Mm. I mean, obviously, if you have a character who's a real sage, I'll let them dig deep into some obscure lore. Like, what are we talking about? Strengths and weaknesses of monsters? Or are we talking about that we're approaching a castle and you know there happens to be a lich there and there's a cursed sword? Yeah, there's different tiers of this. True. Yeah, and I, and. and... I guess it is your first the first thing you need to think about is what would be out there in the rumors and also what would the player characters what's common knowledge in this game world right I mean that, that's kind of the trickiest thing is nailing down what's common like there's a common knowledge that the what the chromatic dragons breathe I kind of lean towards it is because I feel like dragons are very iconic but it doesn't have to be that's totally DM fiat I think fourth edition did a really good job on that when you're looking at a monster like what do you know about this well Make your check related to that monster, nature, arcana, etc. And then you could find out the following things about it. Um, the downside to that was I found when I introduced unique monsters, you're like, well, you know, I want to make a check on this. I'm like, nah, it's a unique monster. Nah, I got a chance. And then that's when rubber hits the road with that. <laughs> My poor blue slime. Damn it. Oh, oh. Yeah, well, it is that question of, you know, does is everything out there does everything have some study done now in our world for the most part almost everything has been well many 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 99.9 percent .9 of the things have at least been cataloged so they're out there somewhere in the knowledge base at the same time we're still finding thousands of species a year so what about you dave what do you uh, how do you handle this first i go off who's the pc what's their backstory who are they you know the fighter that knows that the death time and beholder right like not necessarily. So I'll give leniency or I'll ask for certain roles from very specific characters. You know, I'll allow a role for that. Uh, I generally will allow roles pretty much for anything from any character. Um, but then almost regardless of the role, they may or may not know it. But if it's like yeah. a super duper high role, maybe they did happen to like remember that one piece of information, you know. But I, I go back to my one story I said in one episode a while back, and I was looking for this hand mixer in the kitchen because I was making mm. something. And it's my house. It's my kitchen, right? I know what the hand mixer looks like. And I did a, quote, investigation check on this thing for 20 fucking minutes before I found it, right? So the idea that, like, sometimes you just – even the most learned sages – even the most, right, uh, you know, well-read people, you're not going to retain everything and you're not going to be able to access it immediately in that situation. So and that's where I think roles come in, because the role gives the chance of are those neurons firing in the right way that you can access that piece of lore that you read 58 years ago, you know. So a lot of times what I'll do as a as a player, I'll I'll question it in the same way as the line of sight. Uh, question we just had, which is, what do I know about XYZ, right? I asked, I think in our last game with the Woodstock, uh, Thorne, I think I asked, yeah. like, what do I know about 
Lamias. What do I know about green dragons? You know, and you were like, well, you don't know anything about those, but give me a roll on these, you know, and then see if you know something, right? Well, it was um, something where you come from a, uh, and, and your character there comes from across the sea in a desert land, and yeah, that was so, I forget what it was exactly, but I was like, mm, I think the Lamia I might have let you know something about yeah, because of that. Yeah, but it doesn't, it doesn't really know, like it doesn't make sense for the PC to know that because you come from the desert, so why would you know about some weird? Uh, aquatic creature, you know? I mean, maybe you do. And if you want to let them have that, but I, I think knowledge roles are important. It reminded me, uh, somebody had posted on Facebook or, Red, or um, Twitter about make intelligence like matter again for things like <laughs> make it matter for like how many skills you can have and how many proficiencies you oh, can those have. Are the days. How much you, you know, like it almost doesn't matter anymore as a stat. It's so kind of relegated to like, oh well, yeah, whatever, you know. You yeah. know, it's it's really funny because in past editions, intelligence and strength were the two most useful stats. Going back ones. to second edition especially, because intelligence let you take all your like it lets you get bonus proficiencies. In strength let just just let you do a lot of things that were very convenient to adventuring. Charisma still still mattered. You still had charisma checks you needed. But in the new game, in 5th edition, you wind up in situations where, yeah, you still have classes that rely on strength and on intelligence, but you also have classes that in the exact same way do the exact same things with charisma and dexterity, which are yeah. useful for so many more skills. Yeah. Like, what's, yeah. like your charisma is, is probably better to be to have a high charisma and be a, uh, and be a, and be a warlock than it is to have a high strength and be a, and be a fighter. Because that charisma is going to open up a lot of doors for you socially. Now, strength still matters. It's carrying capacity if your DM uses that optional role. It's heavy armors, but, you know, honestly, light armors with a high dex is pretty damn good, too. They, they pretty much cancel each other out. Um, so it's, it is. Yeah, uh, you know, somebody rolling around with like an 18 or a 20 intelligence are literally a super genius. Like, they would know so many things. They would know, like... You know what the monster's gonna do before it does it, like Sherlock Holmes, <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. style, right? Like they would narrate how it's gonna, I'm gonna beat the monster, you know. So here's but. a controversial topic on this: Do you allow skill substitution in skill checks? So, for example, do you allow someone to intimidate using their strength check? I'll start with I don't. The reason being, I really, to me, intimidation is a charisma check. And while you can use strength to assist it, like so someone could do a, charisma, a demonstration of strength to, to give you advantage on your charisma role, if they don't have the charisma to make that intimidating, that still isn't intimidating. You just look foolish. That's the way I, that's the way I see it working. It's funny because I think especially younger players are like, oh, yeah, if you're strong, you, you can be super intimidating. I'm 6'6". I've been 350 pounds most of my life. I have absolutely <laughs> failed to impress people with feats of strength. I'm very strong. Well, I have been. I'm old now. <laughs> I'm the dude who can push the car alone. I'm, I'm, I'm the dude who can pick up impressive things. I actually threw in the Highland Games once. I can tell you, every, there have definitely been times I've tried to impress someone with a, quote, feat of strength and just look silly because my charisma didn't pull at all. Yeah. Strength is not out of a charisma check. I don't care how impressive it is. But what do you guys do? I mean, so do you buy that? I mean, this is my opinion on it. What do you? How do you guys handle it? No, I'm, I'm right with you. Skills. Skills are what they are. The end. Yeah. So. Um, I, that's an easy answer. I have allowed skill substitution. I there there has been I've had a fighter who was extremely strong. Exactly, go to the intimidate option for that. Um, certain cases maybe like to use that like all the time. No, 
No, and I'll tell you the, the exact actual context. Like, if the fighter really wants to do something intimidating, it's different than he walks up to him and says some fierce things, and then his opponent backs down. So if, like, I don't know, Hawk the Barbarian, instead of trying to talk a town guard down, picks up an enormous rock because he's got the bear totem powers and he can lift preposterous comic book-like weights. If he succeeds on making a check like that, that guy is going to be like, Fuck that. I am not going to stop this guy from walking in here, whether or not he's a smooth operator, whether he talks, you know, eloquently. I mean, doesn't matter. He didn't sell it, though. That's the thing. Charisma isn't talking or thing. It's just the force of personality. And it's the ability to sell it. It's the same way that you can intimidate somebody with a look or with some crazy feat of strength. But you can, like Thorne said, you literally look like a moron with your feet of strength. And everyone's like, okay. And, you know, you didn't sell anything. Here's why this is a tough call. I'll tell you what. The town's guard of Balaki don't give a shit if you can lift a rock, okay? You lift rock. You (laughs) You say that. (laughs) You still die from a stab. (laughs) Yeah. I don't care how many rocks you lift. My sword still stabs you to death. Your strength does not stop my sword. I mean, your strength is your strength does not impress me. I am lorded over by vampire. <laughs> <laughs> I can lift several cows. That doesn't impress me. I I don't know because that's like a precursor <laughs> to my character beating this poor guy to death, which is exactly what happened. And then the next guy who sees that's not intimidated because he has a, if he had a low charisma, I'd be like, oh my god, you shredded that guy. He couldn't lay a hand on you. But look at his charisma. It's a ten. I'm no. not scared of you. <laughs> No, because Hawk is never selling things with his strength. He's selling it with his excellent pro wrestler promos. He <laughs> cuts it, great promos. This That's is actually different. a more complicated question than it sounds like. Because we were just talking about how intelligence is no longer a useful stat. However, if you can use your intelligence in order to persuade someone to do something, it's now much more useful. So that does kind of that helps close a gap, right? That helps close a little bit of a of the usefulness gap. If you can take a high intelligence and apply it to things where you can sub it for even like, okay, so an intelligent character, he doesn't, he maybe can't make the strength roll to move that rock on his own, but the intelligent character walks over with a stick and makes a lever and moves it. And he moves it with an intelligence check instead of a strength check. Like I like from where I'm coming from, I don't like it. But if we're now saying, you know, strength is a little underrated, intelligence is a little underrated, you can't do as much with them. Well, now you suddenly open that up. On the flip side, now anyone can try to make a, a, anyone can do almost anything they can think of to try to make an intimidation check where I still don't think they're as useful unless you have someone selling it. Like, I'd rather have that feat of strength giving advantage to the bard who's acting as your carnival barker. You know, the bard who's there, who, who's there acting as your manager, which is why wrestlers have managers, right? That's why, that's why the undertaker had Paul bearer for all those years to do his well, talking yeah. for. And it matters because it, it allows certain, we've said this before, it allows certain players to shine who have decided to invest into those things, you know? Um, so if anybody can persuade people, then my bard, who spent a lot of investment upping his persuasion, well, now he doesn't get to necessarily be that guy, right? Mm-hmm. Because now anyone can, because well, that, Zhang persuades him through his uh, feats of strength, or, uh, that's, that's you know. Tricky. Everyone's no, intimidated when you attack their, their, their genitals. 
Everyone gets intimidated <laughs> when they're back to dentist. That's how that's it works. True. I don't know how big I they are. It's intimidation, though. I think you're well paid. That's initiative, is what you're well, talking about. But let me that's, ask that's you. How the, how the honey badger takes out the lion. The lion's all tough until the honey badger goes right for his testicles, and it wants no parts of that honey badger. Okay. Sorry, Tony. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. All right. So, all right. So, scenario Zhang, um, who, who's a bugbear fighter, and he's massive. He's just literally a beast tries to intimidate one of the town guards and he's like, mm, no, you're not selling it correctly. And then he leaves. Roderick comes back five minutes later who's like, has the physique of a pencil and you just intimidate him like he's screaming because your charisma is awesome. He's going to have nightmares tonight. Well, I think Roderick needs to still come up with how he's going to do it because what Roderick's going to do is come up there and say, you just saw my friend Zhang. Well, he killed 27 men alone in the last village. And you know there what? He, he castrated each one of them first while they were alive. You probably want to get out of his way before he gets angry. Is, that, I, I, so I, well, no, that would probably actually be a persuasion because that, that would just be like, this is what literally happened. It was frightening. And it's and, probably going to happen again. And I just can't keep that on my conscience. And for intimidation for a warrior? I, I feel like that's just very closed off. I think if, if you're describing to someone the bad thing that's going to happen to them, I think that's fair. I think it's fair to say that the that if the skinny guy, he, he had, his charisma is his ability to sell that, look, a terrible thing's going to happen. This is Constantine, who is a sickly, sm smoker's cough, out of shape, powerful warlock. This is how he intimidates people. You know, it's like, look, you really want to back off now. You know, it's you use the you use your charisma to to make them believe what you're going to do to them if they don't leave. And I think even if the character is really big and strong, especially in a world with weapons, because you know no one's bigger and stronger than a bullet or an arrow or frankly even a sword or a spear. I still have a hard time necessarily letting strength do it, although I probably would yield in some situations. Especially because, as we're saying, charisma is so much more useful than some of these other skills. You know, charisma and dex are really useful throughout oh the world. Oh my god, yeah. Compared to strength, strength is athletics, end of story, and athletics, everything else. carrying capacity. It's still uh, armor, actually. It's very big if you want to wear heavy armor. And I think at the top end, your heavy armors are better protection than your light armors. I think there are things you can take to make them th that you can outstrip any other option for protection. Um, but still, you know, it's... Uh, but yeah, as we I, I, said, I'm a purist when it comes to these things. <laughs> as we've talked about before, too, there is a lot that goes into uh, game design with any system you're in. And there's a reason, there, there is a lot of reason behind why they necessarily put certain things in certain ways. We might not know what that is, but it's there. Um, like we talked about the bounded accuracy thing, right? I mean, it's, so it's built in. So... You can mess around with that. It's completely your world. But just realize when you start to adjust things in the world that it didn't call for, it can have unknown consequences yeah. in your the, game the world. Like, game that, can... like, you know, where you almost OP your one set of players yeah. uh, with magic items. And then it just became, oh, crap, this really got out of hand, you know. So. I do like to play through it once by the book before I start getting creative with my interpretation of the rules. Yeah, so you at think, least you know, know the rules yeah. before you break them. Right. Yeah. So, okay. One last question. Uh, when this actually comes from uh, one of our party members, how do you handle parties that are a group of newbies and experienced players? I think this does get back a little bit to some of the conversation we were having about the keeping your character sheet updated. But what do you do when it's you're, you're kind of trying to balance newbies who need to learn the game with older players, especially older players who may not be patient with newbies who have to learn the game? Well, it's you, you're dealing with a mixed bag. 
I mean, really, um, you could have both groups of people eating out of your hand or both of them are acting cold. They're cold to what you're pitching just for different reasons. Maybe the newer players aren't really familiar with their options and this complicated storyline you're throwing out there kind of overwhelms them. Um, or the more seasoned player had different expectations. But in these cases, with, with the more seasoned player, you want to show them that they haven't done everything. Give them a chance to do other cool things while making the new players who just learning the ropes keep them hungry. Um, yeah, I now I will say I don't think that I have, um, aside from you two, and now uh, I'm playing in the game, in Tony's game. Uh, obviously, Scott has been around for a long time, too. But a lot of my other games, I have semi-experienced and then a lot of new new players and things like that um so i don't necessarily have the wide disparity between newbie to wildly wildly experienced well um, slavers bay did slavers bay yeah okay and that's kind of why i kind of ran it the way i did was because i didn't know what i was running into and i had a mixed bag so i I kind of corralled it in with the whole gladiator thing and the slave collars and all that so that I had time to learn how to do, how does everyone play, you know, but I've played in games where it's newbies and experience and I, I enjoy it. I don't think it takes away because I just try to come to each game as this is, this is the, this is like the, the game I'm playing. I haven't played this one yet. I haven't, I don't know this world. I've really tried not to, to, to metagame it. And I think that's what can become difficult is when some of the experienced players, they know all this stuff, like Tony was saying, they've seen everything. So yeah. they're just, okay, we're going to fight a Jotun's Cube now. Okay, we're going to fight a Blue Dragon now. Okay, we're, you know, and it, it's almost like rote. And that's, you know, that can probably be a little boring. And then it becomes frustrating with the newbie players. Yeah, I think the tricky, I think the, the thing that makes it tricky is the time it often takes to explain to the new players what they can do and how things work. Because often, you know, your experienced players often know what they're doing and they know how the things work. And the new player often doesn't. So there needs to be a little bit of patience with that. And I do, you know, we've talked before about trying to get your more experienced players to help your less experienced players to try to bridge that gap. Because if you're constantly the DM trying to do it, you wind up in a situation where the experienced player is sitting there doing nothing, waiting for you and the new player to catch up. Whereas if you can have the experienced player help the new player, the experienced player is now invested in doing something. Trick is you need to make the experienced player want to do that. And sometimes if your experienced player just doesn't want to, they don't have the patience for it. They don't. Maybe they're a jerk. Hey, jerks play this game too. Then it can be a little bit trickier. And sometimes you might need to have a conversation about, you know, you got to be patient with everyone at the table. And sometimes you'll have players who just don't want to have, don't want to be in that kind of game. But I think that you do want to try to get everyone involved with helping each other. Cause I think a real danger is having a party where some of your players don't feel like they're actually in the party with the other players. I mean, it's gotta be a party. They gotta be working together. If there's some players who are like, well, look, I'm just doing my thing on my turn and I'm getting out of here. I don't care what they do on their turns. We have the same problem you have with the employees who don't like the other employees in a job, right? I'm just here to do what I'm here to do. And nothing else is my problem and split. They're not effective. You know, even with the new player, even the new employee maybe isn't that good at the job yet. The employee who's half checked out and isn't doing, and isn't, using their experience to help the whole team is also it's actually arguably worse for the for the for the for the company than the new person who is at least interested in learning it. I think you have the same problem at your D&D table. If you have the experienced player who just has no time and no investment in the rest of the party and they're just there for themselves and they're going to check out when other people are going and they're not going to help anyone and they're not going to pay any attention because that tends to come with that. 
Now I think you've got a problem where maybe that experienced player is just too being too selfish. You know, so it's got to be a bit of both. I don't always think it's on the DM. I do think your players need to be invested in each other's in each other's uh, success. If you have players who aren't invested in the other player's success, I think you run into trouble. And I think it's actually a bigger problem than it sometimes gets made out to be. Because that's not just a matter of, eh, let them catch up. That is actually a matter of, you know, that that's a person who's actively unhappy with the game and is probably sending out negative vibes and making other people feel uncomfortable too. Yeah. I, I will I will add, I'm sorry, Tony, uh, just real quick. I will add the last point I want to make is as a DM with this though, I don't really make that much of a difference. I don't really change what I'm doing necessarily. Like I present the game I'm presenting and it kind of comes down to what do you want to do? Because everyone's playing on the same character sheets, right? There's only so much they can do regardless of experience. So what do you want to do? And, you know, the experienced player might have some crazy idea. Okay, well, this is how we're going to run it. And then the other player, and then I'll work with them. So I just kind of approach it as everyone is just a player. It's, I don't necessarily look at how experienced or not experienced they are necessarily. You know, I just approach it as this is the game. So if you had a real disparity in experience, what I would usually notice is that the more experienced players, provided they're engaged, are really killing it. And that leaves – it makes – it's more difficult for the inexperienced players to have these cool moments. And what's important here is that if you – touching on what Thorne said, you want this engine firing on all cylinders. The party is not truly going to hit its stride unless everyone is really vested, working together, and on the same page. Otherwise, you've got two or three guys in the party who are doing really cool things during, say, a combat. you got a bunch of other guys trying to do things – that aren't optimal or aren't even super effective. And once everybody hits that um, stride, it's it's a world of a difference. The role play changes, um, it, it all ships rise. Yeah. So I think it's really a matter of you want to approach it with doing what you can to bring that newbie up where they understand how to play the game, how to make their decisions. Because the kinds of things you wind up, you might not want to DM them differently, but you're going to, the new, the new player is going to take more time on their turns. They're going to take more time in the game for stuff they don't understand. They're likely to do less optimal things because they don't understand the consequences or how dangerous the consequences can be or how helpful they can be. So it's like they got to learn those things. And having the experienced player kind of mentor them is a big help. If you can get that to happen and you can get the new player understanding it and everyone working together to help them understand it without bossing them around, without being dicks about it, then I think you can, I think it works out just fine. I think it can be tricky if you have parties, who, if you have players who don't embrace it, basically. And like, yeah, that's what Tony's talking about there, too. You know, you got to get everyone working together, even if they're not optimally working as a as a team of characters. At least they can be optimally working as friends playing the board game, you know. Mm -hmm. All right. So we've been going on here for a while, but uh, we would love to do another uh, another listener questions episode in the future. So whatever questions you have, please send them our way. Again, you can send them to us at threewisedms.com in the what's my what's your problem field. At three wise DMs. What's your problem? What's your problem? And Facebook and Twitter, three wise DMs, we're all over those. So, guys, wrapping up here, what are some of your final thoughts? Uh, that some final tips, some final words of wisdom of three wise DMs would like to leave to our listeners. Oh man, everything I said was clearly like, it was all gold. Like the voice of a guru yeah. from the mountain. The no, it was it was a little more like Electrum. It was very Electrum. You know, it was like two for every gold piece, you know. It was a... 
No, I mean, I just, I love the questions. Please have them keep coming in because it makes us, uh, as we saw with the one question, it makes us think about things that never even occurred. Monster combos. Who would have thunk it? I have sometimes, to be honest. So, Tony, (laughs) what about you? What about your final thoughts? Having some unexpected questions are fantastic. Uh, They they brought back a a more in-depth look on some things that we've touched on and uh, some things that we really hadn't even looked at before whatsoever. Uh, You know, like how do we handle skill checks and things like that. You know, everybody likes that Doctor Who character in your party who can – yeah, I mean, like honestly, like what is is Doctor Who not skilled at? Like explain to me. Yeah, it's true. It's true. um, Efficiency and all the skills. (laughs) Just about, but uh, yeah, handling um, new new and uh, seasoned characters together is actually a super involved question. I hope we touched on it enough tonight. Uh, if we did not, uh, please let us know. And I think for me, you know, just my final thought on all of this is it really shows up DMs can have questions on so many different things. So, you know, we're hitting the stuff that we think of that we think is worth talking about. If you have different ideas or other anything else you need help on, please drop us a line and let us know what it is. And, you know, my final tip from, you know, all of these things is that you are the DM, you know, you're in control, but at the same time, in all of these situations, you got to think about how is your ruling going to affect the players and, you know, we'll make sure you're, you're leading coming to consequences that you're happy with. I think that's the, uh, the, the most important thing. Well said. And with that mm. guys, thanks a lot. It's great. I had a great time talking with you guys tonight. It Good was. stuff. For all of you, thank you very much for listening in again. Check back next week on all your favorite podcast channels, and you'll have the next episode of Three Wise DMs.